Cypress Creek, a tale of one city. Uh, let's watch up, Mouse. Homer, you're trying to talk us into moving to this place. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's go. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. We wanted to hit on this. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing us talk a lot and with a lot of different guests. But this whole scenario going on with the Chicago White Sox, the 78th and 35th and Shields, what's going on with Jerry Reinsdorf going down to Springfield looking for public money to build a brand new stadium for the Chicago White Sox. But while that is going on, one of the other things that we've been focusing on, it's what's going on with the Chicago Bears, Arlington Heights, and the lakefront, specifically the South Lot. And a lot of rumors, a lot of different speculation has been going on. And what exactly Kevin Warren, the McCaskies, the Chicago Bears, and Cook County Board are going to do? What kind of deal is going to be made? Where are the Bears going to be playing in their new stadium? And this article that comes to us from hoodline.com puts a little bit more perspective of what exactly is going on in this situation. This comes to us from Richard M. Sullivan. The future home of the Chicago Bears remains in limbo after the Cook County Board of Reviews set the property tax valuation much higher than the team's estimates, according to reports. The Bears have expressed their disappointment with the decision that leaves them with substantial tax bill potentially throwing a wrench in plans to develop a new stadium in Arlington Heights. The Chicago Sun-Times reported that the board put the value of the former Arlington International Racecourse property at $124.7 million, resulting in the Bears facing an annual tax bill estimated between $10 million and $11 million. The figure stands in stark contrast to the lower valuation range the Bears had advocated for, between $60 million and $71 million, and is far less than the $160 million that local school districts believe the property was worth. Despite the setback, the Bears signaled their resolve to forge ahead. Quote, we reviewed the effects of this decision. We will continue to work with local municipalities to select the best location for the future stadium of the Chicago Bears that will bring a transformative opportunity to our region, boosting the economy, creating jobs, and generating millions in tax revenue, the team said in a statement obtained by the Sun-Times. George Cardenas, one of the commissioners who voted for the $124.7 million figure, justified the decision based on equity. Quote, our decision for the Bears Stadium site is about fairness, fairness to the Bears and fairness to Arlington Heights taxing bodies. Cardenas told the Chicago sometimes the Bears on their part felt their offer were more than generous, considering they had, quote, offered to pay more in taxes on vacant land with no commercial usage than site generated with a fully operational racetrack. But our offers have been rejected, according to their statements. This disagreement comes as the team also entertains potential sites closer to the city of Chicago. With a 30-day window to appeal the board's judgment, the Bears' leadership stands at a pivotal decision point. They could either challenge the board's ruling or potentially aim their sights at other locales that could be more financially favorable. So there's a lot to break down there, right? And I think the first thing I think I want to tackle is the statement made by the Bears that it's going to drive the economy, that it's going to drive tax revenue. No, it's not. That is such a such a lie, such a, a falsehood that these billionaires say to taxpayers, to lobbyists, to politicians, it is not, it's not been proven that any new stadium has generated anything besides a lot of money for the owner of the new stadium. But understanding that, right, I think in this case, compared to Jerry Reinsdorf, where it's just a blatantly a con done by Jerry Reinsdorf, what's going on with the Bears does make sense. There is this idea of bringing the Super Bowl, March Madness, WrestleMania, concerts, everything in between, all the hotels, what you could do with IDOT. There is a lot of revenue that can be generated, but you can't take away the idea of location, location, location. If they can find a deal and they can work with friends of the parks and they can get this deal done with Mayor Johnson, we do understand the McCaskies are going to pay for the stadium itself. It's all the other infrastructure that we're going to need help with. And this is where the push and, the push and pull comes from being a taxpayer and being a fan 
and where everybody has to play their part. I think in general, the idea of what's going on with the Bears and moving to Arlington Heights has better prospects than what you're hearing about what's going on with the 78th and the Chicago White Sox. But to also understand that everybody needs to get their beaks wet. The Arlington Heights School District should get paid X amount of money. And I think what's more infuriating than anything else is the short-sightedness of this. If you're getting taxed 10 to $11 million, which, of course, to anybody else is just unfathomable amounts of money, for the Chicago Bears, that's nothing. And when I mean nothing, I mean nothing. They wouldn't even tell that they lost that in the books. And for that to be the holdup, for that to be the reason why this story continues to be what it is, which is a bunch of nonsense. We don't have renders. There's no shovels to the ground. We've been talking about this story for years now. And it's so much of Chicago sports, Chicago politics, something that should be so easy that we have seen multiple different cities do that it's taking this long. And it just, it drives the stereotype of what happens in this city and this state. Now, I commend what had happened down in Springfield and not just the automatic yes to give Jerry Reinsdorf this this new stadium. I don't like what I've heard from Mayor Johnson about his thoughts on what the White Sox are going to do. But I do think you can make a legitimate argument on why it's better for the Bears to move to Arlington Heights. If they were smart 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this wouldn't be a conversation and they would be on the lakefront still. But just like everything here in this city, they messed that up. Well, now they have a golden opportunity. Some of this you give the pass of it's just business. They're all just trying to use leverage. But it's already spring of 2024. And we're nowhere near closer to knowing where the Bears are going to play than we were five years ago, four years ago. And bringing in Kevin Warren is a monkey wrench in this equation because he's going to be somebody that's not attached to the city of Chicago. He's not attached to the Bears. He's not attached to when the Bears bought the Arlington Racetrack clan. So he's somebody who's going to come in looking with fresh eyes and not rose-colored glasses, and he's going to look for the best deal possible for his bosses, for his pockets. So I think there's a lot to look into this story. And we're going to be covering this for the next few weeks, the next few months here on the Sports Cubicle. We're looking to have on some amazing experts and guests that can really break this down because there's been there's been so many gaslighting by billionaires to fan bases, to taxpayers, to citizens. Promises of all this income that you never see, you don't get to rent out Wrigley Field, U.S. Cellular, Guaranteed Ray Comiskey Park, United Center. You don't get to do all that. So we want to make sure that here on the Sports Cubicle, with these conversations, we're just not looking at it as, oh, look at the pretty picture. Look at the pretty rendering. Did you see the skyline? Oh, it'll be awesome to watch this big event here. No, we have to look out for the schools, hospitals. Everything that makes the city world-class needs to be taken care of first before we give billionaires all these deals. And when they're already willing to negotiate and to work with you, then it's up to everybody to find the best deal for everybody involved, most importantly, the citizens of the state of Illinois. So hopefully... What we assume, what we hope are smart people get together and figure out the best situation for everybody. But it seems to me, just like usually everything that's been going on, the taxpayers, the average Joes, the family are the ones who are going to pay for this. (laughs) This is the holy fail. I've got to post a link with witty comment. World's lamest dork is giant loser. Poop emoji. 
If you post this, you will receive a minimum five weeks detention. And we keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. And this was the story that took the Chicago sports world by storm. Justin Fields on Instagram unfollowed the Chicago Bears. So this had a lot of people talking. Obviously, the biggest story in the NFL now is the Chicago Bears owning the number one draft pick and what they're going to do with Justin Fields. This isn't going to be a conversation that we've had thousand times before and we're going to have a thousand times after because it does pertain to that conversation itself on why exactly Justin did unfollow the Chicago Bears and what I want to do is I want to play it and I want to dissect a little bit of what all this actually means and what we can interpret from it so this was Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields talking to Equinemius St. Brown and Amon Ross St. Brown on their podcast let's take a quick listen to the Bears current quarterback one and why he unfollowed followed the Chicago Bears. Since wait, since we're here, hold on. But I mean, what's we're not. The, what's, no, 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 no. Since we're here. All right, come on. What's with the unfollow with the Bears? What's, what's up with that? Man, bro, I'm glad we're talking about it because people. Why do people take social media so serious? Like, <laughs> but like, why are you why are you unfollowing the Bears? Like, I still mess with the Bears. I'm just trying to take a little break. I unfollow the Bears and the NFL, bro. I'm not just trying to have football on my timeline. Like, mm. I know y'all mess with a girl, EQ, especially you. Just because you don't follow the girl on IG don't mean you're not messing with her. That's true. You That's know? true. That's facts. That's fact. When you're single, it's you really messing with the girls you don't follow more than the girls you follow. You know, it's like you feel me. Oh, like, so you're saying on, you mess bro. with the Bears more now that you don't follow them? Man, it's not even like that. Ah, okay. It's, okay. it's something that I don't want to see in my timeline. I'm about to go on vacation. I don't want to see no mm. football. And guess just, what? Just get away. Get a little away for a little bit. It's either keep field. We want field. See the drive, Caleb. So it's like, bro. Man, I'm tired of hearing the talk. I just wanted to be over. That was from the St. Brown Bros podcast, Equinemia St. Brown. I'm on Raw St. Brown. First thing I want to address on that is Justin Fields coming out so likable, so personable. There shouldn't be any question why there are so many Bears fans who ride or die with Justin Fields. Why I myself am a huge Justin Fields fan. It's not just the talent on the field. It's not just the potential that can be seen in Justin. It's everything that he does off the field, the way he carries himself, the vibes he gives off. This is a really awesome and what seems to a respectable, down-to-earth, cool young man. And a lot of people want to see him succeed here in Chicago. A lot of Bears fans want to see him succeed anywhere he goes, but more specifically at the lakefront for the Chicago Bears. I think that's why, in general, it, this is a great clip to understand why there is so much fandom behind Justin Fields' QB1 here in the city of Chicago. I also think it's important to break down where there's smoke, there's fire. And he gives a great reason. And it's a believable reason to cut him some slack. Where, yeah, he's going on vacation. Anytime he goes on social media, whether it is on Twitter slash X, whether it is on Instagram, whether it is on TikTok, whether it is on Facebook, whether it is on MySpace, whether it is on AOL Messenger, RIP, it's all tagged. He's tagged in all that. That's the first thing that happens in his notifications. Even if it's not the Bears, the NFL itself is asking those questions. Any NFL insider. So I understand that thought process. Imagine it this way. Your job, whatever career field you're in, whatever nine to five you do, whatever you do to earn a couple extra bucks. When you check out, you want to check out. And especially in modern times, we make it a point to say disconnect. Don't check emails. Don't answer the phone calls. Make sure that you're getting the R&R and you're resting yourself. You're getting yourself right. So I don't blame Justin on that. But I do think in these scenarios with these modern athletes, especially these youngsters, these young people playing in all these different sports from the NFL to MLB to WNBA, NBA, and everything in between, they do handle things differently than athletes from previous generations. It is something when they don't follow a team, follow a league, follow a teammate. This is how they have some control of their narrative. And you're seeing it with the podcasts that are not coming up with current and former athletes and current and former athletes jumping on to be guests on those shows they don't need to come on shows like this 
because they have people who are their contemporaries that understand the day-to-day that they went to. We all on a base level can understand what all of us are going through if we have empathy and sympathy and open up our brains a little bit, right? But I think this is a something. It may not be the biggest of things, but this is a something in this long story that's being told that we're a part of, that I'm guilty of, that the Chicago Bears have the number one draft pick and they have the decision to make to either ride with Justin Fields or draft Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, traded, whatever. And it won't be settled until they either trade the pick, trade Justin, or on Thursday, April 25th, 2024, Caleb Williams is announced as the next Chicago Bear. Until then, this is all part of the story. This is all going to be a story. But this is what we all talked about. This is what a lot of Bears fans wanted, to be the center of the universe. Now, this is the difference, though, when you're the main story, but it isn't because you're winning Super Bowls or going to conference championships or even winning divisions. It's because you have the number one pick in the draft, which means you were probably not a good team. But in the Bears' rare instance have an awesome defense, have good pieces surrounding either Justin Fields or a young quarterback, and the assets to add on to it. This is a fascinating story, but shout out to Equinemius and Amon Ross St. Brown for their podcast, and shout out to Justin Fields for joining them and giving us a little bit more peek into the personality and the person that I think a lot of Bears fans and NFL fans are rooting for. But we want to know your thoughts. What did you think about what Justin Fields had to say in his response to unfollowing the Chicago Bears? We got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm Mike Mercado. Excellent speech, just excellent. I no longer wish to build my magnificent new stadium. You don't? Heavens no. No skyboxes, no kiss cam, nor will we have the chance to marvel at number one draft pick, Mukmoo, the human North Pole. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's Paul Shavari. He's Devin Tingle. And it's a very interesting time here in Chicago sports, not necessarily with things going on the field, even though pitchers and catchers have reported, even though the Chicago Bears are on the clock, the center of the NFL universe, a big story surrounding both organizations is where they're going to be playing in the future. And today, more specifically, I want to talk about what's going on with Jerry Reinsdorf and the city of Chicago with what's going to be the new stadium in the 78th, what's going on with the current stadium on 35th and Shields. And I think the big question right now I want to discuss with you guys around the water cooler is why now for Jerry Reinsdorf. When the team is not good, there's so much disarray at manager and who was the manager and the roster overhaul and guys who aren't any longer on the roster and the attendance themselves and meeting with other cities. Why now, Paul, in your guesstimation, is Jerry Reinsdorf now talking about a new stadium, needing a new stadium, when he has nothing to really have a backing on when it comes to success over the last 10 years in White Sox baseball, other than a playoff bounce quick quick uh, uh, series sweep. I think you answered it. It's yeah. preserving his legacy. I think he wants to leave something that'll forever have his stamp on it. But like, is that it? Is it's more than winning? More than winning a, a seventh NBA championship or a second World Series is a stadium that his son will get some money off, but when he dies, a bunch of board members might get money for, like, I don't know. How much money is enough money for Jerry Reinsdorf? He's made all the monies in the world. Like, is his ego that big? I, I guess I've answered my own question. Is Jerry Reinsdorf's ego so big well, that yeah. he'd rather that than another championship? Yeah, because even if the team doesn't own the stadium, they still would play in that stadium, and that's a prime piece of real estate. The 78 we're, we're yeah. talking about. With you know, it'd be a tourist attraction regardless of what team is playing there. So I think it, it increases the value of the team. So I think I think it's like you answered the question with you know increasing the value of the team for the board members. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it, it's that, but I think it's also the 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 ego where you know the self preservation, the legacy intact. I I don't. I don't understand because no one's ever talked about any structural flaws with 333 West 35th Street or Guaranteed Rate Field, but you know there's always a negative connotation, especially after uh, you know the the shooting that happened or the the people that got shot supposedly at the ballpark uh, this past summer, and then as well as just the decline of the White Sox over the last few years. So I think it's just a way to try and at least have that guarantee 
Uh, much like, you know, uh, uh, preserving Wrigley Field, what that did for the Cubs, you know, at the very least, at that bottom layer, there's always going to be that stadium, and that's going to be the crown jewel of the franchise, regardless of what's going on in the front office or on the field. Devin, what are your vibes about all this that's going on with the White Sox, with the front office, with the ownership? And like Paulie just laid out, everything that comes with getting this new stadium, what it would mean long term for Jerry, but short term, what it means for fans, taxpayers. Where are you when this entire story started coming out of nowhere? Where, where you've been focusing, all of us have, on what's going on with either the Lakefront or Arlington Heights with the Chicago Bears. Now looking at what's going on in the South Side with the White Sox. It's the most Jerry Reinsdorf thing you do jerry reinsdorf is currently 87 years old everybody his lease at the good old great expires in 2030 so if we do the math that means he will be 92 93 by the end of that lease and jerry reinsdorf signed some deal with the devil he's probably gonna live forever here let's be real here (laughs) but uh, in all seriousness like he might not even be alive to see this new stadium fully built here though and i definitely agree with paul because there's always that rumor oh he wants to be in the mlb hall of fame you know, he's like Bender and Futurama. I want a giant statue to remember me forever. And that's just Jerry's thing. And the thing is, about a good about a good ball team, Mercado, you have to spend money. He's trying to get $1 billion to build a stadium. Not even Dr. Evil wants $1 billion. This guy is just a complete, you know, professional grifter who's dragged White Sox fans like Paul and I around our entire lives. And this thing, because winning, he can't use his tax write-off. Losing, he can. That's the deal he has at the good old great right now. And kudos to Mayor Johnson and Governor Pritzker for saying, F you, we're not going to give you that deal anymore. That's kind of BS. you got to actually try to do something now. And that's why he's trying to get this thing. Because here's the thing, he wants a billion for that stadium. I'm going to ask both of you. Do you think he's going to use that entire one billion to build that stadium? And unless he has to prove I don't every know if dollar in it, charge of it, though, yeah, that's, that's that's the issue. But the idea that you even think that it would be used the right way goes to show how lack of confidence you have on Jay Reinsdorf. Exactly. You know, unless they're going to go full out uh, twenty, I hate to say this, unless they're going to go full out 12, 2012 Miami Marlins, build that new stadium, and supercharge your team only to suck by the end of the. Uh, all-star right before the trade deadline i should really say it's just it's uh, here's the thing the great i know me and paul like it but it's it's not that big of an attraction and much like the chicago cubs everyone wants to have their wrigleyville they want to own all the little restaurants and shops around there they want to make all that profit here and that's the thing and also i agree with what mercado said earlier this is this is a bargaining tool i don't think jerry wants to go to nashville I don't think Jerry wants to leave. I don't think his kids want to leave. I think Jerry's like, I don't want to go with those dumb hicks. I, I'm in no disrespect to anyone in Nashville. <laughs> no disrespect to the hicks. Uh, I, I, I think Devin's dead on with, I don't think uh, Reinsdorf wants to move the team to Nashville. I think the, the White Sox are a Chicago institution, even though they aren't a popular one compared to the other sports teams in town. So keeping them in Chicago, I think, is a priority. But I, I'm still just scratching my head because I, I just think that that ballpark at 35th and Shields is nice. Sox fans know that. It continuously makes it towards the bottom of the top 30 stadiums in MLB. But people never knock its, its food, its sight lines. Um, sure, product on the field and location, but even then, the location isn't as bad as people make it out to be. So I, I, I don't know. I just think I think when it's all said and done, it's either going to be the 78 or it's going to be 333 West 35th Street. But I don't know what then that means if they do go to the 78. What happens to 35th Street? But if they move to 78, they can kind of be like what Wrigley Field is. No disrespect to you or the Cubs and Mercado. It's like, hey, we're walking, do do do. Oh, look, there's a ballpark. Want to go to the game? See if there's tickets. And there's one thing I wanted to add on to something you said, Polly, really fast, is the idea of people using the south side of Chicago, specifically 35th and Shields, as a, I say, dog whistle of the danger in Chicago and trying to use that it's hard to get there when it's actually one of the easiest stadiums of Chicago to drive to, to take a train to, to park. And it had all the makings of the neighborhood. And like Paul said, if you're a Sox fan, if you're somebody who knows the city of Chicago, there are wonderful neighborhood things to do in the south side of Chicago by 35th and Shields. And to kind of use that 
that as a talking point of why they should move to the 78th, I think is very, I don't think it's a good faith conversation when they're trying to do that. And to your point, Devin, every team wants what Wrigleyville is doing, what SoFi Stadium is doing, what Jerry, what's going down in Jerry World in Dallas that you want to own the things around you. You want to own the entire neighborhood. And, you know, to Chicago, of course, I can imagine the skyline and and the optics will look amazing. But you can still do that on 35th and Shields. Who's going to be responsible for what happens to that stadium if they move to the 78th? These are all questions that I think Sox fans are asking. I think that baseball fans are asking. I think that people in the state of Illinois are asking. And there's so much that comes from this. Because there's so much uncertainty going on in places like Oakland and what's going on in Vegas. And now you could put the uncertainty of what's going on with the south side of Chicago. And here's the point, Paul. I'm so glad you talked about institutes. As a Cub fan, Chicago is a true baseball city. It deserves to be. It's great for baseball for there to be a rivalry, a civil war, the best type of civil war, a stupid, silly one in sports. And it should be Cubs, White Sox. And for that to be threatened by somebody who hasn't earned any right to make that type of threat in Jerry Reinsdorf is very disheartening as a sports fan, as a Chicagoan. And I think that's what bums me up the most. But we're going to cover all this as it goes on because these stories of the stadiums and this is really unprecedented, I think, for a lot of people in the city of Chicago and then obviously people in our position where two stadium conversations at the same time, two organizations that have totally different vibes. I mean, I don't know. Any final thoughts, Paulie? This is crazy. Well, I don't think it is unprecedented because in the 90s there was, uh, you know, Comiskey Park uh, being built and then and shortly after the United Center. And while that was going on, you guys are probably too young to remember the Mick Dome that they were talking about. Mm. The Bears building in either Hoffman Estates, which eventually became, I think, what's called the Now Arena or where the, the Sears headquarters were or down in Aurora or even in Gary, Indiana. And then meanwhile, while all that's going on, we're talking about another airport in Chicago. So um, the, the to sum all of this up, Chicago has a regional city planning issue. They they just cannot they they overdeveloped to the point where they did not foresee all of these problems. And and we can't vilify the people of the past because how are they supposed to know in the 19th century that there was going to be giant corporations and sports teams and and all of the fanfare in the 21st century? But the way that Chicago was designed, everything goes right downtown. Everything developed huge in the post-war era. So now there's not a lot of parcels of land and places to kind of reconfigure things and make some of these things happen. And that's why we're still flying out of the middle of a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. That's why we're still playing in an old ballpark nestled in a ball, in a neighborhood on the north side of Chicago. And that's why we had to build two stadiums across the street from their old stadiums. And we still have a major NFL stadium that's stuck between a highway and a lake. Devin, any final thoughts? Preach, Paulie. Yeah, well, Paul's actually this. Uh, he's uh, he's eighty six. He's one year younger than Jerry <laughs> Reinsdorf, guys. You know, anytime he throws that, you know, you kids are too young to remember. I'm like, man, I even, used to be his rival in Twiddly Winks. He's even older than our Marvels one Marver. But just it's just does this does this does this surprise anyone about this? this is Chicago sports, I should really say, is anyone even remotely surprised? This seems like the most Chicago thing they can do. We cannot promise you a good product on the fields. That costs money. That takes time. That takes talent. That takes effort on our end. We can promise you a brand new place to go and see this team suck. We just have to write the check. It's an interesting time. We're going to be covering it. I think a lot of this would be soft-served and a little bit easier landing if they didn't suck, if the Bears weren't bad, if the White Sox weren't bad. Well, I think if both these teams were like winning, taking first place every year, do you think they would want to even build a new stadium? Yeah, I think so. I think in the 90s when we saw from Chicago Stadium to the United Center and then new Comiskey into mm. U.S. Cellular into Guaranteed Rate, I mean, winning does solve culture, solves a lot of things. I think seeing the new age of Wrigley Field 
what it meant in Wrigleyville and and winning coinciding with it. To make money, you have to spend money. And I think that's something that gets lost on a lot of people sometimes. Keep in mind, New York did something huge about 15 years ago, building two new baseball stadiums, and they built a, a major arena in downtown Brooklyn. So it, it can be done. And that's New York. Yeah, and that's New York. But I know, I know yeah. at the very least with New York, in order to build City Field, they took earmarked money that was supposed to go towards extending one of their train lines out to LaGuardia Airport in order to do it. So, you know, at what cost does it come to the taxpayers financially and at what cost does it come to the citizens in terms of infrastructure? And no matter whatever a headline may be, whatever a press conference may say, whatever we may say on a radio show talking about these future deals that are going to happen, the taxpayer is going to pay one way or another. They're playing Hey, keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's the one, the only, Paul Shabari. And our neighbors in Indianapolis, Indiana, just hosted the NBA All-Star Game. And while Steph Sabrina killed it, and while Dame Lillard won one of three-point contests, and I guess the dunk contest happened, the All-Star Game also happened. And I know, Paul, there's a lot of people talking about the game itself. And we could spend a second talking about how defense doesn't exist anymore in these games, and it's literally a free-for-all and they don't care. We, Anthony Edwards says he doesn't care. Luka Doncic says he doesn't care. Really fast, before we get into what I actually want to talk about in this whole scenario, your thoughts on what we saw on quote-unquote NBA All-Star Game. Alright, before everyone dismisses my opinion because I don't watch the NBA All-Star Game, hear me out. I haven't watched it since like the 90s and it's not that I don't like it. Like I'll catch some highlights. Maybe if it's on, I'll watch it for a minute, but it's just a big exhibition game with a bunch of players, you know, that are well known running around. It's the same as the Pro Bowl in the NFL. I don't really get down with that either. It's fun. It's awesome that they do it, but and especially with those two types of sports, football and basketball, you really don't want to have anyone get hurt, you know, like on any sport, but those are the types of games where when you do turn it up all the way, those notches, people do get hurt. You know, so there's no point. So it's a giant shoot around exhibition. You know, this year, I think it was uh, what, 200 points the first time that that any team had scored. And over the years, it's been trending in this direction, you know, especially with the way teams shoot nowadays and how good of shooters people are. And they're taking open shots. It's just going to be just a shoot around the whole time. It's not about the game. Forget the score. Forget who gets the bragging rights and who won. It's the fact that when you look out there, there's 10 studs on that floor. I uh, On my algorithm, on my YouTube al- algorithm, it came up the other day, the 1987 NBA All-Star Game in Seattle. So it was so cool seeing the starting lineup come sure, out. I mean, sure. like, the East in that, check out the starting lineup for the Eastern Conference in 1987. So, of course, MJ, Michael Jordan, uh, Larry Bird. Moses Malone, uh, Dominique Wilkins, and oh gosh, it's gonna kill me now. I can't believe Moses was still. Yeah, I guess no, by '87 it, yeah, it still yeah. makes sense, right? Because um, the Sixers went to the finals in '86. Oh, and uh, Dr. J playing in his last. Of course, yeah, game. yeah, yeah. yeah. The they, there's the like Sixers, five yeah. Hall of Famers yeah, yeah. right there. <laughs> so there's yeah. that, you know, and, and it's not that the whole game was that. You know, it's like there were some dudes that they named that I'd never heard of, like you know, like uh, something Joe, Joe Barry, something Joe Barry from Golden State, you know. The, but that's kind of the fun of it too, is who was good at that time regardless of how great they are, you know? So so you do want to see a Luka Doncic, but I saw Jalen Brunson was playing in the All-Star game this year. He's been having a great year. I saw Jalen Brunson 10 years ago with Stevenson High School. So sure. you know, it's, it's things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's awesome that they do it. The game is kind of a joke itself, but it's supposed to be all about having fun. As far as the dunk contest, they need to go back to like the big stars doing it. Cause that was part of it too, is they show the dunk contest from 87. And I, I forgot who was involved with that, but I, you know, I saw something with like over the years how Jordan was in it and Dominique Wilkins was in it. You know, it used to be about the big name player playing in the dunk contest and now it's a bunch of nobodies kind of some casuals like even if lebron had some lame dunks i'm sure he would uh 
annihilate that ball through that rim and we'd all enjoy seeing him do it. Um, I, I think I think we're owed that. I think we're owed a dunk contest where even if the dunks are casual, we're seeing guys like LeBron James or, or Giannis or um, I don't know, a, a name name a star that you think would be perfect for that. You know, sure. Joel Embiid or something. You know, I, I I don't know, but but I think I think that's how you get it back to to where it is. You know, and and kind of where I was going to. Um, uh, baseball is the only sport I think that you can turn it up all the way to the full matches and still have it be a competitive game. And I think they blew it when it doesn't count anymore. You know me. I was one of, in the minority of people, probably in the 5% of the population, that thought that MLB should go back to all-star games that count. So I will say I am a staunch disbeliever in that. I think you, the oh, all-star game this I think you saw some of the best baseball so, ever played. And ever. That is, that's a fun You're conversation. You're talking about like you turn on RBI baseball on hard mode. <laughs> Shout out RBI American baseball. League versus We'll National talk League. about that come summertime yeah. when we need something to fill a weekend <laughs> conversation. But we I want a whole summer yeah, baseball, guys. Uh, there's yeah, so, Olympics. We got Olympics. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I to, there's a few things, right? I think this all comes down to one word: competitiveness. I think if the score doesn't matter, when it seems like the players care, where there seems like there's some effort on both offense and defense. I think if you're looking at the '80s, the reason it mattered is because the players thought it mattered. And the funny thing, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this, especially people who talk about basketball, watch basketball in the offseason when it's not in the news. You see a lot of these dudes playing basketball rec ball with schlubs or with other NBA players with nobody watching, and they're some of the most competitive games. More dangerous than all-star games when it comes to the severity of what you could potentially hurt yourself. So this idea that we need to pay them more, owners or the sponsors need to pay the players more to care more in the all-star weekend it's a fallacy to me i'm all about the people getting their bag but don't tell me that giving them an extra million dollars is going to make them more competitive just giving them an extra million dollars what makes it more competitive is them being more competitive kobe bryant and lebron james over the last 10 years the reason the all-star game felt competitive is because kobe made it competitive Giannis makes it competitive who's to stop anybody you know well here's the problem like 50 guys going there's got to be at least one you know that's gonna turn it up and be like yo i'm I'm gonna gonna throw down 50 tonight no because the problem is, is you have guys like, and I love these players, Luka Doncic, doesn't care. Jokic, what about, doesn't you know, care. Like, uh, Brunson or, but, but, you know what is saying, like, what is, What's he going to do, put up 50 shots like Carl Anthony Towns? Like, you, and, well, and, I, and I know, too, the coach is probably going to put Brunson just, into the most minutes anyway because people didn't come to see Brunson. And Tyler Tyler and like, there's yeah, also, like, yeah. the way that you try to to move these, these votings in. I just think you can't put too much stock in All-Star games because they're All-Star games. It's supposed to be an exhibition. So if it's an exhibition, I don't think there should be any necessarily expectations on it except for... Well, if you're pros, I expect some form of competitiveness to come out and be an entertaining yeah. game. But so all anybody ro- asks for. You're just rotating guys in and out all the time. Yeah, you know, just then like doesn't a matter. different collection of 10 guys that it's just, these are great players right now. And I think part of it, too, is like the personalities of these players who are in their 20s and, and early 20s. And a lot of these European players, they just, they don't look at it the same way that dudes like Kobe and Carter and Iverson we're and Shaq and Duncan and Garnett were looking at it 20 years ago. We're in the load management era, too. So the but, idea of playing a full 82 games is already a lot for these guys. And I understand, like, we've I, we've talked about it here on the show. Like, I do think it's dangerous that they did put that limit of 65 games on there because there is a difference of you don't need to set a rule of, like, you have to play these amount of games to win an award I, or be part of All-NBA. there should be any cap. If teams want to load manage, let them load, load manage. Man- and, and here's the thing, too. Award voters are not going to vote for you if you don't play games. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. If Kevin Durant only plays 20 games, guess what? He's not going to win an MVP. Yeah. So you don't have to put a cap on it. Otherwise, you get situations where dudes are coming back too early, yep. and then they're getting hurt. Yeah, so let teams manage it the way they get however many players. If you can't, if you don't have enough depth to win without your guy, then you weren't good enough to be there. So really fast, this is what we were all circling back to. Now that the All-Star game, though, has new rules for a city to host the game. And this comes to Joe Masato from the Oklahoman, who says the new three rules... You have to have 7,250 hotel rooms and a minimum of three five-star hotels, a convention center of 650,000 square feet of exhibition space, and number three, 75 non-stop 
domestic flights, and at least 20 international flights. Just goes to show what we're talking about, the the vibes, that the NBA is doing everything they can to cater to its all-stars, to its stars, to its sponsors. It is up to them to answer the bell. You can try to find ways to fix the All-Star Game. The All-Star Game is what it is. It's a showcase of your stars. Put it in Vegas every year. So the Super Bowl kind of proved that Vegas can host a party. The All-Star Game will never be as big as the Super Bowl, but it will still be an event for sports. The Super Bowl won't be in Vegas every year. They should have every February just kind of bump it to to around that weekend. Things that travel like that to major cities should be showcased in the world-class cities of the United States. Things that should travel city to city are drafts, draft lotteries, things like that. Yeah. You can have the NBA draft in Indianapolis, yeah. in Cleveland, Ohio. You can have it in Kansas City. You can have the NFL draft that, anywhere. I think people don't get down for it as much oh, in they, cities, oh, Here they, in Chicago, they, yeah, okay. the, the yeah, NFL Chicago's draft. Different. Don't, don't ever judge it by no, Chicago. No, sure. The NFL, NFL draft, draft is different. NFL, yeah, NFL I was going to say, cool. yeah. Yeah, that yeah, should yeah NFL draft's that, a little yeah. different. But we'll I saw when Kansas City had a big party. Yeah, Nashville did. Like, we've seen the NFL do. So maybe it's there. Maybe the, the the market really for to have both your cake and eat it too is major cities, warm climate cities get Super Bowls and NBA All Star games and all, mm-hmm. MLB well, All Star games. Resort cities, places that people want to travel to, and can travel cities. accommodate people. Yes. Yeah, travel cities. Yeah, and everybody else, including sometimes those travel but, cities, but get I drafts think and whatnot. Indianapolis can accommodate that. But I think you're talking about now. We're talking about specifically the NBA. You're talking about vibes checks. Yeah, does Indianapolis yeah. check the vibe? But I'm thinking like Indianapolis will have to host a Super Bowl at some point again, Just, right? Yeah, logistically, I you would think, think Lucas Oil at some point will have it to. has already. It has already. Yeah. Real question is, let me ask you this. MetLife, obviously, because of the New York background, yeah. hosted the one Super Bowl, but because of how scared they are of a weather event happening in the East Coast, we haven't seen it since. Chicago being a travel world-class city, if it gets the dome, like we yeah. might be talking, again, a story we'll be talking about for, for sure, months and yeah. months, does it become a legitimate rotation Super Bowl, or is it one of those every 10, 15 years they'll Probably go back to Chicago? every 10 or 15 years because it's going to be a weather event. That's you what know, I'm like saying. It's, Regardless it's of a dome. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know what people do out and about outside of the Super Bowl, you know, but it's like getting in and out of the stadium, it's going to be cold. Getting out there, it's going to be cold. But when it's like, yeah, come to our wonderful Super Bowl radio row, and it's like everyone's wearing parkas. Right. You know, having to travel through blizzards in order to do it. You know, we got lucky this year. If if we hosted the Super Bowl this year, it was like 40 degrees out that day. And everyone would have been talking about how marvelous of a city Chicago is. Even though it gets a little chilly at night, you know. So, but, but it's not yeah. going to be like that every winter. Every, like, February 12th, it's going to be, like, 10 degrees out and, like, 15 inches of snow on the ground. I'm so glad you said this. And this is a fun segment because this is why I think— I don't know how Minnesota did it. Well, let me ask you this. There are some cities, though, that get passes. Boston, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York. We know it snows. We know it's cold. And almost it's like a rite of passage where you're like, yeah, people who travel to the city are like, oh, I, I got the full New York winter experience. I got the full Chicago experience. People don't give Cleveland and Indianapolis that grace. They're like, no, Milwaukee, for example. Like, if it's cold in Milwaukee, they just crap all over Milwaukee. Yeah. They won't crap on Chicago the same way. It's weird. Like, some cities get the pass of, like, yeah, it's snow. Yeah, it's cold. It's a cool city. I think that's all it is. It's still vibes. You know, it's like you're you're braving the cold, you know, and sometimes it looks, like, uh, majestic in the snow and the ice, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. I think because Chicago has just that reputation, the city of big shoulders, yeah. you know, that hard nosed working class city. It's like, yeah, and we have to get through a blizzard to do it every now and then, you know. Yeah, to watch the <laughs> yeah, and watch the bears. Yeah. All right, buddy, that was a lot of fun. I thought I just wanted to bring this up, like the craziness that of the weekend that was the NBA All Star Game, the new rules, and how just the sports world is going crazy, and everything is about these TV deals and making it a spectacle. Everybody's trying to catch up to the Super Bowl. Like that's all it is. It's like you're all trying to. Catch Catch up to the Super Bowl, and my friends, it's hard to get 54 million people to watch your sporting event. He's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado.
We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's the one. He's the only Paul Shavari. And, Pauly, we've had a lot of serious talks over the last few weeks here on the Sports Cubicle. We've had a lot of serious conversations on and off the field about things in the sports world. And now that pitchers and catchers and all positional players have reported, now that games are being played and spring is upon us and baseball has arrived, we're going to have a lot of serious conversations about the Chicago White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, the stadium, if there will be a new stadium, him talking about a new buyer is going to move the team. The Cubs, whether they'll sign Cody Bellinger, whether they'll be investing into free agents, what's going to happen with Scott Boris? Paul, I want to talk about seeing men's penises and testicles through their baseball pants in these new jerseys and uniforms that has Thanks. taken storms on Instagram. It is trending worldwide. Baseball Media Day. And the embarrassing photos taken by these poor men, and not just the obvious crude humor that we've all seen of private parts, but you could see logos through tucked in shirts. You can see them talking about the comfortability on playing the field. They're talking about their swings being affected by it. Did you think that in a season where Shohei Otani was going to become a Dodger and there's so much unrest in these different cities and all these crazy talks about the media deal and the CBA that comes out in three years, that the number one trend in baseball conversation right now is to damn uniforms by Nike and Fanatics. And you were on this a long time ago talking about <laughs> this bad Nike marriage. Track. Yeah, so like. Because like somewhere along the way, it didn't even become about wearing a sports uniform. It became about trying to like defy science and make it fashionable. Like, and nowhere, like, I knew we're, we're so postmodern on this. I knew that we were completely reaching our peak the second like as a play-by-play broadcaster when you look at the numbers on the field and they're the same color as like the uniform so it's you can't see the number so what's the purpose of even having the number on there if the broadcaster can't identify who it is or the spotter whoever's in charge of actually knowing who the num- the numbered guy is so so once we've reached that i knew that it wasn't about that you look at the university of oregon football team for the last like 15 years they, they you know they trotted out uniforms where they're wearing like all gray and the highlighters yeah Yeah, the highlighter you know it's like all the different uh color coordinations and and uniform schemes that they've done over the years that it's like gosh this school looked their best when it was just a plain green jersey and yellow pants so nike is all about fashion but it's all about that sleek uh, you know the design, the um, the 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 science that goes into the moisture wicking, and you know breathability, and, and you know it's uh, um, you know it's not it, it won't shrink, it, you know. It, it, but I, I had heard that the pants aren't custom fit anymore. They used to do that with the players. So you know you you're taking away now the things that worked for so long. No one was ever complaining about this nope. stuff. And and now you know Nike gets the rights to it away from Majestic, who was doing great with the uniform, and the uniform looks dumber and isn't even working. And everyone's complaining. But I want to couple that with New Era, who has the had done the hats the whole time. They changed up the cap a few years ago. Now it's more dome shaped and kind of the same idea, and it doesn't look right. It, it looks kind of like. Like I don't, I don't know, like a dunce cap or like mm. a, I, I don't know, like it's mm. it's it's really weird uh, how we live in this society where we have great technology and great design and fashion sense. You know, I think we're always improving on that. You know, so we're not looking as as corny for our times sure, all the time. Sure. But I think there's times where we get it totally wrong, and here we are. And, and I guess if Major League Baseball's biggest problem is uniforms, it's a good problem to have because it's not like they can't play in them. It's just it's it's clowny the whole thing, and and it's funny to me because it's, it's yes. like yes, like this is what you wanted, this is what you signed up for. Well, I didn't want this. This is Nike. Nike does not care about it looking good. Nike just wants it to be stylish. And like, look at I think we can live in a world where all things are true, right? Like, on the field, the uniform itself that the players actually wear needs to be of a certain standard, needs to hold up to certain gameplay run-through. I mean, this is a sport that they wore belts, for God's sakes. Like, you know, there there has to be an understanding of, like, what we're actually doing here. This sounds like a big Seinfeld bit that we're at this point in spring training talking about looking 
sleep through yeah. white pants. I will say that it is cool when leagues do have like these city editions every once in a while or cool alternatives. Sure. Some teams are doing a second one now and there's some cities that haven't done one and it's like it, it's awkward when you talk about the the relationship to a city like you know so the white Sox are all south side and it's hilarious that they're For doing now. this while they're talking about moving away from the neighborhood yeah i don't I know understand. i understand yeah. i'm with you but like i also think like you the, would... uh, the, the dodgers one cracks me up too cuz you know not, all yeah. it says is what los dodgers <laughs> yeah. and it's like yeah they kick people they kicked Mexican-Americans out of that ravine in order to build that stadium. Look at I'm not saying that the hypocrisy of sports or just about anything that is in the entertainment realm, but I do think that you have to be able to connect to make your sports grow. Baseball, to give credit to the one dude I never give credit to, and Rob Manfred, was baseball's popularity grew because of the rule changes last year. And it has affected the game in a positive way where there was good word of mouth. And it is such a baseball thing that you can translate that to something into the next season and like once games start who knows what's going to happen how much of this will pay attention but the idea of like they can't even get dope baseball jerseys right yeah. like they can't even get that part right and that's what's really intriguing in this entire story is that this is again a big corporation signing a big deal and not thinking about the product, not thinking about how it's going to look. We yeah. just had this AT&T thing, and it goes into the consumer where there's not enough competition. It's like once Nike's just like bought it all on, we're making jerseys for the NBA and the NFL and now Major League Baseball, who's the competition? I, I mean, it, here's a weird parallel, but it's like when they started, uh, you know, ESPN gets the rights to baseball and like in the— uh, the playoffs, 2020, the uh, they had to do like the makeshift playoffs. So they're playing those uh, uh, best of threes in um, the best of three wild cards. Okay, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the White Sox, Oakland. I remember they're yes, interviewing yes. the center fielder in the middle Coach of Marlins. the game. Uh, that and, series, and, right? Yeah, and Ramon Laureano's like dropping f bombs on live television, yes. trying to track down a fly ball, and it's like, well, here you go. That's what you, you know? wanted. <laughs> this, is, this is it. And every once in a while, you get awesome stuff like we did in the All Star game, right? With the Toronto pitcher, like there is. I'm, a... okay, I'm okay with the All Star game because right. there's nothing on the line. A playoff game. That's where it changes, right? <laughs> like, game 99 at Wrigley Field. If you want to talk to Ian Happ with Boo Shami for half an inning. Maybe. All right. Maybe. Like, yeah. Every now and then. Yeah. But, and you know, just, and that'd be cool on the local broadcast that's to what see I'm something like that. But, there has but on, like, you know, like national implications, something online, all eyes on you. I'm willing I don't to, know. That's 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 not fair. I'm willing to give everybody their perspective on this. I'm willing to give them their flowers, and it's not a bad idea one way or the other. Like, you saying, like, I don't know about this, this, but I like this. You're 100% correct. And I think somebody who comes with the good intentions of, but to grow the game, like, if we did this, like cool jerseys just that alone like yeah you know what cooler jerseys would yeah. would do that and then you think oh well we'll have access to the players you're right that is kind of cool it's just how you execute it and how you present it and i think the nfl does a great job about this i think the nba does a great job about this and you're seeing like women's college basketball does a great job about this golf is doing this now where it's just it's all about the star you get into some trouble sometimes when the stars become bigger than the sport itself but there's such a rarity of who those actual people are but it's what you said. There's a happy medium and you got to find it. But I just love that with a looming CBA deal coming down the pipeline, so much uncertainty with free agents, so much of the middle class being gone, so much maneuvers and movement going on in this league that they were able to find a way to put themselves in a right position last season. And their answer to this season, whether it was their fault or not, is now Jersey talk when it should be what a lot of these teams. Yeah, Shohei on the Dodgers. What's going on in Oakland? Yeah. What are the Cubs doing? Are the White Sox really moving? Who's going to win the city of New York? Are the Braves going to go and, and win 100 mm -hmm. games? There are so many great storylines in Major League Baseball. But once again, baseball finds a way to baseball it. And now we're talking about men's groins. <laughs> but not in the normal baseball sense. It's because we could see them through their new jerseys. Paul, we got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm Mike Mercado. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV.